Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys have joined us today. Like Dakota said, I'm Austin. I'm lead pastor here at Chaparral. Glad you guys are here for a brand new series we're kicking off today called Tensions. And this is guaranteed to raise some people's blood pressure a little bit. That's why we're calling it tensions, hypertension, or I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's going to be something that's going to get us all a little curious or make us think uh, with a little bit more, uh, I'd say, diversity of thought. Because I think the church has, in one sense, been silenced. And maybe not in the way that you see some people talk about this stuff. I think the church has been in kind of had its message co-opted by so many people over such a long period of time, especially in America, even over the past couple of years, that people are afraid to say something that we know is true, that we know might be true from the Bible. We might, it might be true just it's straight out of Jesus' mouth, but we're like, ooh, but if I say that, I'm afraid that people will hear this. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, speak the truth so long as people aren't offended, now, of course, Jesus doesn't say go around offending people too. He doesn't say be a, be a jerk in my name, therefore uh, you will know that you are my follower or anything like that. So what I want to do is I want to talk about some things that happen in this world. Some things that inform us on how to live in 2022, where, which again, if you're watching online way after the fact in 2040, because, you know, let's see, 18 years from now, people are going to be digging through my sermon archive, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> then, then maybe it's different for you guys. But for us, we, there's so much happening in the world, and we don't always know what to do with it. In fact, we, we might think we know what to do with it, but our answer's here, and we see other people over there, and we think those people are either dumb or they're stupid, because I think this, right? Where the reality is, is that there's power in between those two things. And, and here's the conviction, and, and today we're just really setting the table for how we're going to go about this. It's going to be kind of the methodology, and it's going to be the, be the way that we understand this through our faith, okay? Uh, that, that we believe that in the church, that uh, there are two things that can be true at the same time. That you are both in the world... And as many people say, but not of the world. Well, hold on. Does that mean I'm supposed to escape the world? And, and this is something that I've noticed. When I, when I began following Jesus, I noticed that I did not get swept up into a cloud. And they did not give me a harp and a halo. And I did not just play sweet serenades to the Lord all day. Did that happen to anybody else when you got baptized? No? Good. I'm not the only one then. When that happened, if you're a follower of Jesus, you go through that step, you go through that process, you come out of the water and you're like, yay, this is great. But guess what? You come home to the same issues that you had before you got in the water, don't you? And you realize that Jesus didn't help me escape all of my problems. He left me here to figure this stuff out. In fact, that's exactly what we find in the good news of Jesus is not an escape from the world, but rather an invitation into the real world, into the way that things actually work. And we find this time and again that the divine life is God calling us right where we are today. Here's what Jesus says. He tells us to do things like this. Heal the sick. 
Heal the sick. He says the real issues that people are dealing with, take care of that. Manage that. Uh, protect them. Do what you can to help bring health to the ill, to the mentally ill. Healing to the broken bodies. Bring that around. Pain and loss. All of that stuff should be a concern to you. It shouldn't be something that you look around and say, hey, let me show you how you can avoid all kinds of pain. Mm -mm. That's not a message of Jesus. That's not a message from Scripture. That's some kind of therapeutic thing, right? That's just not the gospel. Rather, Jesus says, when you encounter this kind of stuff, be somebody who heals. Heal the sick who are there and tell them this. He says, the kingdom of God has come near you. That means when the sick people are healed, the kingdom of God comes near to them. When the mentally ill find a sense of peace and well-being, the kingdom of God has come near to them. And your job and my job is to be an agent of the kingdom of God, to bring those things near to people. Jesus continues, he says this uh, in the next chapter. Uh, he says, uh, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When I do all of these things, I could drive out demons, I could heal the sick, which Jesus does, heal the blind, I, I could make people walk who could never walk before. When all of these happen, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When, if you want to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, when Jesus is in charge, when Jesus is the ruler, no one else, when he is the number one, the person who sits in the front of the bus, the driver of the bus, the bus itself, when Jesus is that in your life, it looks like the sick being healed, like those who are struggling, finding a sense of relief. That is what this looks like. The kingdom of God has come upon you. If we are doing our job well as a church, that is what our church will look like. I love the saying, and I like saying it a lot, our church should be a, a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. This isn't a country club. It's nice. We do have air conditioning. And there's a water fountain out there, so we take care of your needs, bathroom, all that. But that's, our goal isn't just to make you comfortable. Padding in the seats is secondary to the fact that we really want to be a hospital for people that are struggling. A, hasa, a place where people can find wholeness and well-being. That is what our mission is as a church. So we're taught to pray. Your kingdom come. Get that? Your kingdom come. Again, there's this kingdom stuff happening repeatedly. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus says that when you experience healing, when you bring that about, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we see the kingdom of God coming, up, coming near you, kingdom of God coming upon you. We see the kingdom of God being realized in this world. Yet then he tells us you should pray by saying, Lord, your kingdom come. Ask for his kingdom to come to you, which implies that his kingdom isn't already there. The kingdom also gets talked about in the future sense that one day the kingdom will come. One day God's will be done. Well, which is it? Is the kingdom here or is it not? And Jesus says, yes, now you're getting it. It's not that the kingdom is, it's not that we look around at the world and say, everything is perfect, look at this. Nor do we look at the world and say, everything is terrible, the sky, the sky is falling. No, no, no. We know that the truth is in the power between perfection, and brokenness. 
The tension is where we find that power. We find the peace that God offers us, this shalom. And shalom is so much more than just the word peace. I mean, we'll talk about that at the end a little bit. But it's real goodness. It's where the struggles of this world are able to be reconciled with the realities of what you deal with every single day. So this is the world that we're called to live in. Not a world that's perfect, but rather the in-betweenness of it all. We live in the tension. We live in the yes, but not yet kind of a, a place for this. And so what we do is we get our hands dirty in how we live in this world. We get our hands dirty by going and doing things. And some of the things we do are pretty easy. Bring in a can of beans for the food pantry. Great. Fantastic. We'll be doing that this year. Uh, sometimes we do stuff that's a lot more heavy lifting. Like, hey, let's go spend some time with some homeless families or some men coming out of incarceration or getting some backpacks for kids uh, at a, the reservation out east. It across the globe. Like, we do all sorts of things, but what we don't do is we don't say, well, God's kingdom has come, therefore I don't have to do anything. No, God's kingdom has come, therefore we are now agents. We serve the king, and we go and do this. So, today, what we're going to talk about this specifically is through a lens of faith. Okay, we're going to be getting into other aspects of this. Faith is really what I think kind of helps us set this up for showing what it is that we trust, what it is that we, you know, maybe put on the front burner, the back burner, what, what it is that we want to prioritize here. And as we do this, uh, I got this idea from this guy. His name's Reggie Joyner. He's a really good church leader. He talks a lot about intergener intergenerational ministry stuff. And he has this message called Say Yes, where he uses this illustration uh, that I just want to take advantage of today. But it starts with this, this idea that you can know God. We say things like, you can know God. Yes, you can. God can be known. Okay, great. Then we move on. Well, we say, you, you can become a Christian in a moment. Ah, yes, it's the easiest thing to do. It's easier than signing up for a credit card. Like, you can just, you can right now say yes to Jesus in your heart. Jesus say, yes, you are mine now. Let's go. Let's do this. It's the easiest thing in the world. We say, you can trust in the Bible. You can trust in the Bible. Its words are true and good. You can trust God. You can trust God in all the things you walk through in life. You should enjoy church, we believe. It should be relevant. It should make sense. It should be something that you say, ah, yes, here, this is helping me live out my faith in Christ today. Your beliefs matter because what you believe determines how you live we believe that God has ideals, that if you follow in God's footsteps, you follow in the way that Jesus lived, that we do believe that you will have a better marriage. We do believe that your finances will begin to be structured properly. We do believe that every single thing that you encounter in this world will get better. Now, well, we'll talk about that tension in a little bit. We believe that God has ideals. We believe that God is good believe that God is good all the time. Now, just because something is true does not mean that someone will hold on to it, right? Any parents in the room? Just because you say something true to your kids does not mean they are listening and that they will do what you said. Just because something is true does not mean somebody will hold on to it. So let's take, for example, God is good. I have a friend, Tyler, uh, Grew up loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Great family, involved in the church, 
just some of the best people you'd meet. At one point, Tyler even wanted to go into ministry. It was an exciting time, actually. You see this kind of thing happen. You, your hopes kind of get up, especially as a pastor. You see this, you're like, oh, man. Yeah, come, come be one of us, weird people. Uh, <laughs> tragedy hit his family, though. And the way that the church responded to that was not terribly helpful. In fact, it kind of eroded his trust over the course of a week, two, few months, to where he asked that simple question, God is good. Is God really good? To this day, he's still not part of a church. God has ideals. I have a friend, Mason. He, his, one of his goals, he's simple life. He just wanted to live a simple life. He wanted to get married, have two and a half kids, and have a good job, and raise his kids in the church, and be a part of the church, be a leader in the church, all that stuff. So he met the girl, and he got married, and in less than 18 months, his young marriage completely disintegrated. And he found himself dreaming of the ideal. He thought he was going to be the ideal. Now he doesn't fit the mold, and now he feels like an outcast, and he feels like the people in his church look at him sideways, and he didn't know if he could ever reclaim that dream that he once had. You should enjoy, or sorry, uh, your beliefs matter. <laughs> My friend Ryan, he witnessed firsthand how people in church will weaponize their beliefs and use them as evil against one another, and he's an atheist now. You should enjoy church. I grew up at a church that had a youth pastor who was crazy. Uh, I think back on it now, and I'm like, man, if we had a youth pastor like him, would I fire him now, or would I fire him six months from now? Uh, <laughs> it's like, he was crazy. We had a lot of fun, though, man. And here's, the, here's where the proof meets the pudding, and this is where it's like, okay, yeah, you kind of you cut him free and let him go. He was bringing people in, and we were meeting Jesus, and I was one of them. And I saw the transformation that happened in my life. I saw the transformation that happened in the people, uh, some of my best friends that I made that I still stay in contact with some of those guys. Man, it was huge and profound and amazing. We loved going to church. Our church was pretty darn boring too. But we loved it because of the people that were there. The, there was a group of people, go figure, in the church that did not like him though because apparently they don't like it when things at church break. And when you have a lot of teenagers running around, things are going to break. Nothing too bad, but they, they gave him a hard time. And they didn't just give him a little bit of a hard time. They gave him such a hard time that he said, my senior year, hey, the moment you guys graduate, we're going to be moving on. We can tell that we're not really wanted here. <sighs> he left that church, and within seven years, that church closed down. I'm not saying that that's the reason why. I'm just saying that the people that were against him got what they wanted, but they also got what happens when you eliminate an entire generation out of your church. You can trust God, but can you ask him questions? Because every time, and I don't know what church background you come from, every time you might come to a pastor, you might come to another church leader, you ask them questions, you find that they don't want to help you answer. They just want to say, hey, no, 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 don't go that way. You just need to go over here. Oh, no, no, you just need to think more like me. Everything's fine. You don't, la, 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 kind of shove your fingers in your ears. You might think God can handle your questions, but the church can't. You can trust the Bible. 
But what happens when you're 28 and you realize that the way that you understood the Bible when you're eight years old is not working for you now? And you can't go back and unknow some things. And it kind of leaves you in this middle ground of wondering whether or not the Bible's true, whether or not it can be trusted. You can, be, you can become a Christian in a moment. Yeah, easiest thing in the world, right? I've seen so many people do that, take that step in their faith. Hey, let's go, let's go. Yes, I baptize me. Okay, great, you know. Spirit of God working in and through them. And the dopamine hit lasts for a week, sometimes. Sometimes a month. Sometimes, yeah, I've seen some people riding that high for like a year or two. You're like, okay, good. It's God working, this. we'll take that. But then the wall hits. And it hits for every single one of us, doesn't it? At some point, what worked back then stops working, and now you have to figure out what's next. And you can go back and you can try to drum it up. I talked about this last week, right? You can go back and you try to recreate that situation, or you can allow God to use that to help you grow. You can know God. Yes, you can know God. But what do you do when it feels like there are good people on two sides of an issue and both of them claim that God is on their side? If you can know God, I don't even know if you can know God when this is how things look and feel. We're living in a time where people, for many reasons, some of them good, some of them not as good, but for many reasons, people are leaving the faith. And they're leaving the faith, I think, and this is just one again, it's a complicated thing. I think it's because the church is so often given simple answers to complex questions. That rather than sitting in the tension of two things, of saying, yes, it's, it's, uh, we kind of sit in the power there that rests between the two poles, rather we've said, nope, it's over here. And if you don't think like us, you can go somewhere else. And it's true, you can. But what we know is that when somebody leaves church, 80% of the time they don't go to another church. You know, it's easy to think, and, and I've been a part of so many churches, I've been on staff, uh, when another big church moves into the area, and, and oh my gosh, there's a big church, and all of our people are going to disappear. Uh, studies have shown, no, they won't. no, they won't, unless you're like just bad at something, like you're, they're not going anywhere. When somebody stops going to your church, they stop going to church. That's generally how this stuff works. Many people leave the church but there's also something that's happening, too, that I think is interesting. Many people are coming back and experiencing Jesus for the first time. And I don't have all the good, I don't have the data for sure, but I, I have an inkling that there's a big difference between how we can talk about faith maybe even two or three years ago with how we talk about it now, with how we talk about it today. And I want to be a part of something that God is using to bring people back into his fold. But if that's you, and I don't know, maybe you're watching online and you're not even sure why you're watching online, but here you are. Maybe you're in the room and you feel that way. Leaving a version of the faith, this is something I want you to understand. Leaving a version of the faith does not mean you leave the faith. Let me say that another way. Leaving a version of Christianity is not the same as leaving Christianity. 
I put up this little graphic a while ago uh, that had kind of Christian orthodoxy and then all of our little kind of camps all throughout it. And a lot of times what happens is people think, I break out of my camp. I break out of my maybe small church upbringing that was super conservative or super liberal or super whatever. And now I have no faith whatsoever. But they find themselves actually still right in within Christian orthodoxy. But they think, well, because I rejected what mom and dad said, I can't be a Christian, can I? Well, depends on what. You believe in Jesus? You believe in new life? You believe in resurrection? Yeah. Well, that's kind of the deal breakers right there. We often think that leaving Christianity itself, but it's not. Grab this rubber band that you got right there. I want you to spread it out between two fingers and then if you can just nice and rudely wake up the person next to you just lean right over give them a big old hey careful <laughs> we're not flinging these at me uh, please when you pull this apart you feel that tension right feel that thing kind of come back and you know if you've ever shot one of these which some of you are doing right now. Uh, if you've ever shot one of these, you know that if you're gonna shoot it, you have to pull it back first. That there's power in that tension. Are we gonna be a church of truth or grace? Are we gonna be a church of law or church of love? Are we going to be a church of the past or a church of the future? We can honor both, can't we? Law, love, grace, truth, past, future. We can do all that, but if we do that, you have to understand that it's going to bring tension Whatever answer you give to any question, especially in church world, about your faith or about how we do things is going to raise an issue of tension. And there's this threat that I think some of us feel that the, the moment that you start feeling tension, and maybe not so physically as much as even like, ooh, somebody just said something that I don't agree with. Maybe in that moment that you feel that little of uncertainty, you want to push back, you want to do something like, we think that truth is being threatened, but it isn't. It isn't. It's actually right then in that moment that somebody pushes back that you say, ah, here we go. There's power in this disagreement. There's power in this moment. It's in the tension that truth finds power. So we say something like, you can know God, and that is true. Also true is that God is a mystery. God is a mystery that you can know. That means you can know God. Yes, we do believe that. Yet you will also find that God is always out in front of you. God is always somewhere that you're unexpected uh, to find him. God is always up to something that is beyond you. Both are true. We find that you can become a Christian in a moment. Also true, it will take a lifetime to figure out what that means. It will take forever 
to figure out what that means. Again, I've seen these people that go and get baptized and everything's wonderful and fresh and new and, 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 and it's real too. Like when, when somebody goes through that and they show up at work and all of their employees say, holy cow, our boss, she's not a jerk anymore. He's not mean to me anymore, whatever. Like they, your employees know it or you go home and your family sees, wow, mom or dad, they're so different. There's something good that's happening here and you have a new church family and things are just wonderful. And then that wall hits and you have to figure out what is next. If we sell this whole faith endeavor as if this idea is about just, hey, say yes to Jesus and go home and, you know, have a soda. Like as if this is just what it's about, then we miss the point, don't we? Rather, this is a lifetime journey. And it means that what worked for you 20 years ago is probably going to have to grow and change. Just like over the past 20 years, you have grown and changed. And that's a good thing. That's something to embrace. But it does bring about tension. Because you're going to run into stuff where you say, hold on. My little childhood study Bible doesn't read the same way as it did when I was 10. You're right. Let me get you an adult one. It's like that in so many ways. Praying is different for me now. It absolutely, praying is different for me now. I'll be a little autobiographical here than it was five years ago. Even, I mean, honestly, about a year ago. Like I, I've seen, that's one of the things that I work on. And man, I don't know where it's going to be in 20 years. It'll be totally different than it is now, probably. But the point isn't to, hey, find what works and stop. No, no, no. Let God's spirit continue to move in and around you. You can become a Christian in a moment, but it's going to take the rest of your life. You can trust the Bible, but everything true about the world is not in the Bible. Did you know that? Like you, had a, you probably went and took a college physics class, or you probably went and sat with somebody who said some stuff that is imperative to life. If you are a first responder here, or a medical professional, then chances are you deal with perhaps life and death situations, whether it's related to medications or surgery or something else, on a daily basis. And none of the stuff that you are using is in the Bible. There's a big difference between something being non-biblical and anti-biblical, isn't there? Like at some point, open heart surgery, you don't have to say, hold on. God says he will give us a new heart. What's that? How do I sew the aorta up or how do I detach? And you're not gonna find that in the Bible, are you? That's ridiculous to think about. But at the same time, people say, well, if the Bible's supposed to be an instruction manual, it's not a very good one. Well, no, hold on, hold on. The Bible is true, but it doesn't have every single thing in it. It's not going to tell you how fast objects fall in a vacuum or teach about germ theory or anything else. But it is still true. You can trust God, but doubt leads to a stronger faith. You can trust God, but doubt leads to a stronger... Again, I think a lot of us sometimes are conditioned to think, hold on, I'm doubting or I'm struggling, and, and whole you know, red, red flags go up and we're freaking out. Hold on, there's doubt happening here. That's a good thing. That can be a very healthy thing. Allowing God to sit with you in those moments of trying to figure it out. And sometimes it's an academic doubt. I don't know about something, you know, whether or not something is or is not true or factual or whatever. Sometimes the doubt is circumstantial. Here's what's happening in my life. I don't know that God can help me through that. 
Doubt is like a weight at a gym that you push up against it time and again. And over time, you know what happens is your muscles, they actually tear. And it hurts, right? Like you get the next day, next couple of days, like, oh my gosh, I worked out. This, this does not feel good. And you're right, it probably doesn't feel good, except for what happens is your body then heals itself and builds itself up and you get stronger as a result of that. That's a good process. That's a good thing. If you just get to the point of saying, ouch, this hurts, maybe I should never do this again, then you might not be terribly healthy. But if you challenge yourself and push through that, you'll find yourself in that tension being able to say, yes, this doesn't feel great in the moment, but I also know that there's a longer-term aspect to this. In our faith, it's very similar. That there will be times that you're encountering doubt and you're going to struggle, and that's okay. Rather, we shift gears and we keep moving. We say, okay, God can use even this. We say you should enjoy church. You should also enjoy living in the world. God didn't make fun things to be sinful. God made things for us to enjoy. This is world is meant for us to participate in and be a part of. It's okay to enjoy things that are other than church. Uh, you'll see this in kids, and this is probably best uh, exemplified through how a kid grows up. If you have a kid and you tell them that, hey, you're not going to like candy, so we're not going to give you any candy, your kid's going to show up to Johnny's house and he's going to have a Starburst or a Snickers or something. He's going to get offered that piece of candy and he's going to realize that mom and dad are liars. Right? Like you can tell them that stuff, but it's not going to work out well in the long term. It'll work for a while. You're, you can teach your kids, hey, 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 you should only enjoy church or you should only enjoy, the only book you should enjoy reading is the Bible, or you can try to do all these things, and guess what? When they're little, that will work. And if they stay little, that's fine. That's also a health condition, like there's something wrong if they stay little, right? Because they're going to grow up, and you know that their faith is too. You know that who they are on the inside is too, and so they're going to find themselves liking band. They're going to find themselves liking different things like technology, dance, and sports, and all sorts of stuff. And that doesn't annoy God. He loves it, especially when the Cubs win the championship, win the World Series, right? It means God's very displeased more often than not. But uh, I haven't checked the standings, but I don't think Cubs are doing that great. Uh, anyway, but you understand, like, there are other things that happen in the world, and God's okay with all that stuff. God's okay with having fun. You can enjoy those things too. The world is not a zero-sum game, right? You can't say, well, I enjoy church, therefore I can't enjoy NFL football, Yes, it's, they're both on Sundays, and sometimes they come pretty darn close to overlapping, and you do have to make a decision. And yes, I do judge you every time I see that you're not here. I think about you, specifically, watching online. Um, <laughs> the season is over, I understand, but <sighs> it's okay to enjoy yourself, have a good time. Your beliefs matter. People matter more. Your beliefs matter people matter more. You cannot use your belief in Jesus to justify the mistreatment of another person. You cannot do that. In fact, Jesus says to love God and love others, and the way he says that is not to give you A and B, it's to give you one A and one B. These two go together. He says that the measure of faithfulness to God is the way that you love other people. 
which means you cannot be a real follower of Jesus, and this is going to be one of those tense things here, you cannot be a real follower of Jesus if you hate your brother. Jesus says this, right? Like you cannot hate your brother and then still show up to church and say, oh, praise the Lord, so good, amen, right? Yeah, brother, let's shake hands on the way out and feel good about ourselves and then walk out here and spew hatred. You cannot do that. You can't. One is antithetical to the other. Your beliefs matter. People matter more. God has ideals. God also uses broken people. God has ideals. He also uses broken people. I don't know what's going on in your past. I don't know what has happened in your life. If you've ever felt like this, then I get it. That you've gone through something that in your life you look at and say, I no longer fit the ideal. I've done things, things have been done to me, circumstances in life have happened to me and I've gone off the rails or things have ended up somewhere where I didn't expect them to be. And far too often I've been friends, I have friends exactly like this, still like this to this day, even though I try to help them, try to understand, I try to do all sorts of stuff. They will not step foot in church because they know that they will be judged. Man. That shouldn't be the story of us, for sure. That shouldn't be the story of any church. You probably don't fit the ideal. I don't fit the ideal. God has the ideals, but God uses broken people. If you want to know who some of the most messed up people in history are, just open up your Bible and start reading. Like, there's adulterers, murderers, greedy slanderers, just the worst of the worst, and then God comes alongside and says, all right, my turn now. You want to come my way? I'll show you how to do this. And so much of scripture is this story of somebody coming and meeting God, sometimes face to face, and walking away from that, now understanding it, and knowing that God didn't come to them because of how good they were, but that God came to them because he loves them. And just because you do not fit the ideal does not mean that you don't belong here, that you don't belong in God's kingdom. Because his kingdom is a piece of a place of peace, of well-being and healing. Paul wrote in uh, 2 Corinthians, my power is made perfect in weakness. That it's not because of our perfection, it's not because of our purity that we come before the Lord. No, no, no. None of us walked in here pure. None of us walked in here perfect today. And none of us, to my knowledge, got struck by lightning and cast out, right? God can handle that. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what's going on, maybe even in your present right now. But here's what I do know. Is that God's inviting you home. God's asking something of you. And he wants you to come find life in his kingdom where there's wholeness and well-being and health and goodness does mean leaving behind the other stuff. That might be something that's very good for you. That might be something that you think about and say, yes, amen, please let me leave behind that. And great, fantastic. Say yes to Jesus. It's the easiest thing you can do. But understand the journey forward beyond that will take the rest of your life. It'll take everything. But it'll show you the life that really is life. And if that's you, I just want to invite you uh, not right now to the front 
But when we're done here, after we dismiss, we're gonna sing a song in a little bit and do communion and then we'll dismiss. We have, we'll have our prayer partners right here up front. And we wanna pray with you, we wanna pray for you, and we wanna help you do the next thing in your faith. If that's get baptized, then let's do it. Let's pray together, let's talk about Jesus. Let's set up a time to have these conversations. We have some fantastic people that we would love to do that with you. So please just come up, let us know. Set up a time, we'll figure this out. Don't hesitate on what God has in store for you. God uses broken people like you and me. God is good. That's the last one. God is good. You should do good as well. Yes, God is good, but you are a part of this. Back in Genesis, first opening chapters of the whole Bible, tells the story of, you know, God created the earth and here's how he went about doing it and so on. And a really wonderful poem about how all this stuff flows. But then he makes people. And he makes us to work. Not to slave away, but to tend to a garden. To be gardeners. And in that garden, we get to co-create with God. In fact, that's what God was looking for. He's looking for companionship in that sense. Of yes, come and be like I am. Be a co-creator. Work the soil with me. Live this life with me. Now, this is totally the opposite of this idea that some people have of, oh, hold on, the moment you become a Christian, you retreat from the world. God says, no, 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 I'm gonna put some dirt under your fingernails. This is what it's gonna be like when you are my follower. You are going to create right alongside me. And so our job, our vocation is to be stewards of what God has given us. And when we are stewards of what God has given us, when we take care of creation and we cultivate relationships and we build the kind of community, then we see that God's kingdom has come because God's work is not done. And we do this because we live in that tension. He talks about shalom. Shalom is this sense of, we often, well, it's peace. We think of peace as a lack of war or like this kind of passive thing. Nothing bad is happening right now. Therefore, it is peaceful. Or it's quiet. Therefore, it's peaceful. And all of that is, there's truth to that. But shalom is so much bigger. And it's so much deeper than just that. It's this well-being. It is where you find energy. Peace in the kingdom. Peace in the kingdom is, bring, is being able to rest in the tension of knowing God is at work but that God's work is not yet done. Knowing that you have a calling once you walk out of these doors and understanding that that work is incomplete, trusting God will step in for you. So our job is to advance the kingdom. And here's how we do this. We advance the kingdom by doing what Jesus did. This is gonna sound crazy, but it's by going to the cross. Jesus did not see power as something to be gained. Rather, he saw power as something to let go of. And when we gather together, that's exactly what we do. We come around Jesus and his sacrifice who showed us that he too can live in the ultimate tension between death and life. 